Okay, we're reading from uh, Genesis chapter 3 tonight, uh, page 5 in the Blue Church Bibles. Um, Setting is in the Garden of Eden, and I guess it could be described as the most tragic story in the whole of the Bible. Uh, Genesis chapter 3, starting at verse 1 through to 13. Now the snake was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the snake, We may eat from trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die, the snake said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realised that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The snake deceived me. And I ate. May God bless his word to us this evening. Can I encourage you to keep that passage open? Uh, You might think it's a slightly strange passage that I've chosen um, to uh, tackle this subject of worried about what other people think, um, but I hope it will become clear in time. Uh, This subject, um, worried about what people think and then how we respond to it, I think this is one of the most subtle but destructive fears that we can have. And I hope I'll unpack a bit of that shortly. Um, Because I think being worried about what other people think of us will impact your view of yourself. It will impact your view of other people. And it will impact your view of God. Uh, I'm also aware that in a sort of short talk in an evening like tonight, it may well be that I dig up more than I deal with. Um, Sometimes when you address these difficult issues, it can be a bit like that. But I pray that part of healing in an area which we might struggle with is acknowledging a problem and then asking God's spirit to comfort us and change us and encourage us in the week ahead. Um, So as we come to him now, let's pray that he would do that and be with us and help us. Loving Father, as we come to the end of this three-part series looking at things we fear, things that for many of us are troubling, that stir our emotions, that worry us, I pray that tonight as we think about our fear and being worried about what other people think of us, that your spirit would do amazing things in our hearts. That you'd help us reveal areas where we are weak, where we need your help. But I pray that we would leave here encouraged that your gospel 
has an answer to our fears of what others think. Please, by your spirit, would you teach us now. Please comfort us if we're finding this a difficult subject to think about. And please help me to explain this clearly now, for Jesus' sake. Amen. How are we doing PowerPoint? Great. Can you just stick up? There's a little quote that's going to come up on the screen. Um, A little bit long. I'll just give you a chance to read it uh, slowly in your head, and then I'm going to repeat it just for the sake of the tape. And you can perhaps just listen to the words as I repeat it. Uh, Many of the people I've talked to had an awakening when they saw the controlling power of other people. They awoke to an epidemic of soul called, in biblical language, the fear of man. Although they were avowed worshippers of the true God, below the surface they feared other people. That's not to say they were terrified of them or afraid of others, although sometimes they were. Fear, in the biblical sense, is a much broader word. It includes being afraid of someone, but it extends to holding someone in awe, being controlled or mastered by people, worshipping other people, putting your trust in people, or needing people. However you put it, the fear of man can be summarised this way. We replace God with people. Instead of a biblically guided fear of the Lord, we fear others. That's a quote that's taken from this book here um, called When People Are Big and God Is Small. Uh, It's on the bookstore. It's a fantastic book that really gets to the heart of the issues we're going to think about tonight. Um, I was battling with this a few years ago, uh, quite a number of years ago. My sister gave this to me and I used it over a few months to really grapple with some things that were going on in my heart and it really helped me. Um, But that man um, has a huge amount of helpful things to help us with. Um, Just to come up on the screen then, just our first thing we want to think about is kind of exposing the problem because as we address this issue of being fearful of other people, I want us to acknowledge that in different ways each of us do worry about what other people think of us. Now perhaps for some that's a particular problem, but we all battle with this. Um, I'm just going to go through a series of of areas I've identified where perhaps God will just lay one of them on your heart. Um, Are you a, a people pleaser? Just don't want to let people down. Uh, Perhaps you struggle to say no. Or you're a bit of a perfectionist. Perhaps you're not really a team player because when you work in a team it exposes weaknesses and so you'd rather work on your own because it's just easier. Are you afraid of being seen as you really are? Uh, Being exposed? Perhaps fear of being rejected? You know, I get really frustrated. You know when you say to someone, how are you? And they just reply, I'm fine, how are you? It's just something we do in our culture, but we don't really engage. But if we were struggling, would we be prepared to say to the person who says, how are you? To actually say, you know what, I'm actually struggling. We, we struggle with that as Brits. We particularly struggle as men, but it's an issue that we all struggle with. Uh, perhaps you're unable to be vulnerable. Maybe your issue is that you want to withdraw from others, or perhaps... Without realising it, without being deliberately deceptive, you're kind of a pathological liar because you find yourself all the time just lying to make yourself look a little bit better. Because you don't want people to think that you've made a mistake when you have. And that little lie just deflects the attention away. I don't want people to see me as I am. Are you a person who needs compliments and affirmation? Perhaps you struggle to receive compliments because... You're so worried about what people actually think and they give you a compliment but you're worried that they don't really mean what they're saying and so you never accept the compliment when it comes to you. Perhaps your need of affirmation is that people's praise of you matters too much to you. 
Um, are you deeply dependent on somebody else? I'm not talking about a depth of relationship, but a real deep dependence where you say, I cannot live without this person. See, when people are big and God is small, people can very easily become functional gods in our life. We make them to be more than they are and we seek to get from them more than they can ever give. Are you afraid of evangelism? You're actually really worried about what other people might think of you and that matters to you more than the glory of God. Or perhaps you're at school and you're just afraid about your friends knowing that you are a follower of Jesus because you'll be the only one in your year. And perhaps you feel distant from God, just undeserving of his love. I can't come to him with my problems. I can't be honest with him. How would he ever love me anyway? And so your interpretation of your sin and where you stand with God actually becomes more important to you than his interpretation of you. Now, I don't still share those things to kind of send us into cycles of despair, but I just want to make the point that actually in different ways we all fear other people. We're deeply worried about what people think about us. And actually it can run far deeper into us than we may realise and have a far more profound impact, as I said earlier, on our view of ourselves on our view of others and of our view of God. So this is a really big fear that we need to help each other with. second thing that's going to come up, I want us to see from the passage that I'm going to try and unpack a little bit now, that our struggle shouldn't be a surprise um, because it's our sin that stops us fearing God. Just if you've got your Bible open, uh, again I said it's a bit of a strange passage to go to, but I want to show us why I don't think it is. Genesis chapter 3, as Jeff helpfully said, is kind of one of the most tragic stories you'll read anywhere. It's the time when our rebellion against God entered the world. And I want to show, I want to show you what happened that really lay at the heart of the sin of Adam and Eve. And I believe one of the things was they stopped fearing God. So do you see how the devil tempts Adam and Eve, particularly Eve at this point, verse 1? Did God really say, you must not eat from the tree in the middle of the garden? So she's deceived because what Satan tries to do is get the people in the garden to doubt God's word. Did God really say that? No, he didn't really say it, did he? And attempted there to stop fearing God, listening to what he said, and instead listen to the serpent. And notice it's not just doubting the word of God, it's also doubting the goodness of God. Have a look at verses 4 and 5. So the the woman answers and and the serpent speaks again, verse 4. You won't surely die. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. What he's really tempting Eve with here is saying, God's not a good God and he's withholding something from you. He doesn't want you to eat from that tree because you'll become like him. He's not actually a good God. So right at the heart of this sin is doubting God's word. Is it true? And doubting the goodness of God's word. He doesn't really love you. And then in a split second, the problem that Eve has is that she stops fearing God. And she starts listening to Satan. Do you see that verse 6? When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband. So in that moment of temptation when she, she stopped fearing God, She forgot about what God had said, and she forgot about who God was. And then notice what happens when she's exposed. Notice the shame that kicks in in verse 7. 
Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realised that they were naked so they sewed together fig leaves and made coverings for themselves. See, they didn't want each other to see each other as they really were. They feared each other. And they didn't want God to see them as they really were because they felt exposed. The physical nakedness is also a symptom of their heart. They didn't want God to see them as they really were and they realised in that moment they'd stopped fearing him. They stopped loving him. And then obviously God pursues them. The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, verse 8. And they hid from the Lord. (laughs) They hid from the Lord. As if that's possible. And so God comes along, verse 9. Where are you? He's not saying that because he doesn't know where they are. It's more a sense of, why are you trying to hide from me? I created everything in this garden, including you. I know exactly where you are. Why are you running from me? And then, of course, they tell him, verse 10, that they were afraid because they were naked, they were exposed, so they hid. And then notice what happens. Verse 12, the man says, the woman you put here with me, she gave some of the fruit to me and I ate it. And so the Lord challenges the woman, verse 13, and she blames the serpent. What a mess. Stemming from the moment where Eve and Adam stopped fearing God. They stopped listening to his voice. And they were more worried about what Satan had said to them. And then they were exposed. And then they were worried about other people's view of them. They were worried about each other. Friends, when we worry about what other people think of us, when we seek to cover up our weaknesses or perhaps portray ourselves to be someone we know deep inside we're not, when we endlessly worry about our reputation, it's a symptom that we've stopped fearing God. And that's hard to hear. The next uh, thing we're going to look at, trying to get to the root of the problem. I just want to ask you this question. This is the question this really helpful book asks. Is God far too small to you? Do you remember back in chapter one when God made Adam and Eve? He said, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So mankind is made in the image of God. And God is the one who gives them their identity He gives us our identity. But in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve stopped listening to God, stopped fearing him, suddenly they sought to build an image and identity for themselves. They stopped fearing God. So I just want to unpack this phrase of fearing God, because you see it all through the scriptures, and it's kind of a difficult concept to grasp. The fear of God doesn't mean being afraid of him. It's more a sense of standing in complete awe and reverence before him which then leads to a complete and utter devotion and commitment and dependence on him. Fear of God is not so much about being scared of him, but it's about standing in awe and reverence before him. The illustration is often used, and you might have heard it before, but you know in uh, uh, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, Mr. Beaver is speaking to Susan about Aslan the Lion. And Mr. Beaver says, Aslan is a lion, the lion, a great lion. And Susan says, oh... I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about being safe? Of course he's not safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. That really gets to the heart of what fear of God is about. He's not safe. He's the God of the universe. But we're not to be scared of him. Because we can know him as a father. As one writer has put it, uh, fear of God is a response that is active. It does something. It's not a simple passive devotion. 
but it follows Christ in obedience. It searches out his will and can't wait to do it. You'll know people who fear God because they're people who want to listen to his voice, who long to love him, who long to grow in their relationship with him. And we need to be helping one another as this church to be fearing God more, to stand in awe and wonder before the incredible creator of everything. See, if we don't fear him, it will distort our image of ourselves because we'll seek to make an identity for ourselves and we won't be prepared to let other people see us as we really are. It will distort our view of others because we'll give to others far more power to have a control over us through what we fear they think of us. And it will distort our view of God because God will become far too small in our eyes and we'll stop fearing him. I just want to share a bit of testimony of my own life where I battled with this. This book was hugely helpful to me. Um, when I was growing up, when I was a teenager at school, I was really, really worried about what people thought of me. I wanted to achieve the best grades because I wanted people to be impressed with me. I wanted to be in all the first team sports teams because the girls would be impressed with me. I was just a teenage boy, but I was really worried about what other people thought. And I suspect most other guys were as well. I know God has been doing a work in my heart. He's still got a long way to go with this because I still fear people far too much. But as I read this book and as God's spirit worked in my heart and helped me to have a bigger vision of him, bit by bit he's taken away some of that fear, the controlling fear or power that other people had over me. And I am conscious that I'm less worried now about what other people think of me than I was. And sometimes before I was really worried about being misunderstood because my reputation would look different to what I wanted it to look. Now it doesn't matter so much because I know what God thinks when he looks at me. But that's a testimony of God's grace working in my life. And when I wasn't very well a few years ago and I was struggling with a bit of depression and I was really not doing too good. And um, I went to see a friend of mine who is an older, wiser pastor. He's also a trained counsellor. And he sat me down and one of the questions he asked me is he said, Mark, he identified I was putting a huge amount of pressure on myself, wanting to perform so that other people were impressed with me. And he said, Mark, do you think God loves you? And I listened and I said, yeah, I do. He died for me. He sent his son to die for me. Yeah, he does love me. And he looked at me and said, and Mark, do you think he likes you? And I was a bit taken aback, thinking, well, if God loves me, then of course he likes me. But as he continued to unpack it, I realised what he meant, and he explained it, and he said, when Jesus has died for you, Mark, and you know that he loves you, what it means that he likes you is that he looks at you and delights in you. He just thinks you're amazing. Even with all the mess in your life, even with all the worries and struggles you have, he thinks you are amazing. And it completely changed my heart when I realised that. He loves me enough to send his son to die for me, but he also likes me. He's able to delight in me with all my weaknesses because Jesus has covered my sin for me. That had a profound impact on me. And I just say that to encourage you because the root of the problem is when God is far too small for us. I thank him that gradually he's making my view of God a bit bigger. And he's still got a long way to go. But that is testimony to his grace working in my life. And I pray that bit by bit he would help you to fear him more. Well, what's the way ahead? The book of Proverbs says, Fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. I love that verse. And it perhaps will not come as a surprise to you at this church, I hope it won't, that the way ahead is the gospel. And I want to explain why. 
the, the verse that Neil taught us from early on in chapter 2 of Ephesians, for it is by grace you've been saved. That is one of the most fundamental, important verses in the whole of the scriptures. That grace changes everything. Grace changes everything. See, if I fear what other people think of me, the answer isn't trying hard not to fear them. It's not about dealing with my fears. The answer is the gospel that works in my heart so I know that I'm loved by God and gives me a bigger, ever bigger vision of who God is. That is how we overcome our fear of other people. You see, when I've grasped the gospel and when it's become not just a cerebral thing up here but it's become real to me in my heart, I know I can be close to God even in my brokenness because I know his love for me is not dependent on me being sorted. It's not dependent on my performance. I can be vulnerable with other people and they can see my weaknesses because again, what other people think of me doesn't define who I am because the gospel defines who I am. I'm made in the image of God. And perhaps the most profound one is you can also be at peace with yourself because your identity and security is not found within. It is something that God gives you. One of the answers to our fear of other people is not dealing with our fear of other people. It's getting a bigger vision of God and allowing the gospel to become more real to us. Let me give you a couple of worked examples just from the stuff I was sharing earlier. And you can perhaps begin to see how this works. If you were that person who says, I just can't say no. I'm just a bit of a people pleaser. I can't let people down. Know that it's a privilege to serve him. But remember as well, God doesn't need you. He's the creator of everything. Remember his promise, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I think sometimes, sometimes the pressure that we feel in life is a self-imposed pressure that we put on ourselves to perform, to be something we're not. If you're that person who knows that deep in your heart you have to cover up your mistakes, perhaps you know that you lie quite a lot because you don't want to be exposed, you don't want people to see your weaknesses. Just look at the gospel, look at Jesus, and know he's covered your shame. You can be vulnerable because he sent his son to die in your place. That his son was shamed so that you don't have to be. Just know that when God looks at you, he delights in you. Even with the things you struggle with. If you're the person who your heart was pricked when you feel like you're endlessly searching for affirmation and approval. You you desire to be liked and affirmed by other people to give you a sense of self-esteem, a sense of confidence. Look at the gospel. Because... God gives you his identity, your identity. You need to listen to his view of you. You are a child of his if you put your trust in Jesus. And that is the verdict, as the video told us, that really matters. If you have a deep dependency on another person, I just can't live without this person in my life. I just challenge you, just don't let a good thing, even a wonderful thing, become a God thing. Because however wonderful a person is in our life, they can never be God to us. They can never love us like God can love us. They can never save us like God can save us. Friends, it's in the gospel that God has loved us perfectly. And that's why we can come to him with confidence with all the fears that we have. I want to pray a prayer um, which pulls together some of the things we've been thinking about um, as we've identified and unpacked some of our different fears over the last few weeks. Fear of failure, fear of the future, 
and fear of what other people think. And why don't you just take a moment of quiet first, just to reflect on what I've been sharing these last few weeks, what God has been saying to you, and then I'll lead us in a prayer in a moment. The Apostle John uh, wrote in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Heavenly Father, we thank you that in the gospel you love us perfectly. We thank you that because of Jesus I no longer need to fear failure because he has covered our failure and offered us the gift of forgiveness. We thank you that because of Jesus we no longer need to fear the future because you are the living God who controls the future and has promised that in all things you will work together for good. And thank you that because of Jesus, we no longer need to fear what other people think of us. Because you give us our identity in Christ. And when you look at us, if we know you, you take great delight. Loving Father, we do come to you this evening as people who struggle. We all struggle with fears. We all struggle with doubts at different times in our life. But thank you that you understand that. You understand our hearts. You see the times when we worry. And you see the times so often in our life where our fears take over and control us. I pray that you would give us confidence tonight to lay our fears at the foot of the cross. And to know that in the gospel you have given us the answer to our fears because you have showed us how much you love us. We thank you that you love us perfectly like the perfect father. We thank you that you offer us forgiveness through your son's sacrifice in our place. We thank you that you are with us by your spirit, strengthening us, helping to transform our heart, that bit by bit the things that fear we fear, the things that control us become less and less of a control because our view of you gets bigger and bigger. Please bless us as a church, I pray, Lord, and please help us to have confidence in your ability to overcome our fears. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Just as the band come up now to get ready, um, when you came in, I hope that Eric handed you a bit of paper. Um, If you haven't got a bit of paper, then you can just do this in your head. Um, I I just want you, if you've got a pen, to write on that bit of paper. Um, Whatever it is that's really touched your heart over this series of fears, the one thing that you're aware that you fear, just write it on that bit of paper. And You don't have to do this, but if it helps you, during this... During this next song, sometimes just physically doing something can be a way of responding. If it would help you, write whatever it is that you fear on a bit of paper. And during this next song, just come to the front. Don't be embarrassed. You can scrumple it up so no one else can see it. And just put your fear, whatever it is, in the bowl. And I want you to look at the cross that represents everything that Jesus did for us. And just take great confidence that whatever your fear is, the gospel will help you overcome that fear. Just sometimes the act of coming forward is an act, an expression to God, I ain't going to trust you with this thing I fear. If you don't want to do that, it's not a problem at all, but you've got your bits of paper, I hope. You've got a pen. Do feel free if that would help you. Just a reminder, we do have some refreshments out there for after the service, and if you would like to pray with anyone, I believe that is the corner over there, and we'd like to encourage you to continue talking about what we've learned this evening. So I'll just say a prayer to close. Dear Lord, we thank you for your enduring nature and for loving us so greatly. 
We pray that as we go into this coming week, we'll feel your love and that we'll focus more on our relationship with you rather than worrying about what others have to think of us. Amen. Amen.